Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to be present with you, spend some quality time with you and know that you are important. And I think that that kind of energy towards anyone can go a long way. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I am your host, Joe Cornwell, and today I am with Jeremy Kane. Today's episode is brought to you by BAM Capital, a trusted multifamily syndicator that has never missed a preferred payment and never lost an LP's investment. To learn more about investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com or click the link in the show notes. Jeremy is the owner of Patriot Capital Investments. He has a background in counterintelligence. He was in the military for 10 years, and he is currently focused on multifamily and commercial real estate with over 1,200 multifamily doors under management based in the Austin, Texas market. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing well. It's been a busy Wednesday, so excited to be here. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, we appreciate the time. So you take me back to your pre-real estate career. I know you said you're in the military and counterintelligence. Tell me a little bit about that and how you got into real estate. Yeah, it's one of those interesting stories where I almost didn't really graduate high school. I played sports, didn't really care much. And all of a sudden it got really real senior year. I'm like, oh, wow, I should probably be paying attention. So come 18 years old, I the only really option for me in my life was to join the military. I had great parents and I loved them to death, but they gave me the ultimatum of you're either going to college or you're out or you're going to get a job that's going to pay a lot more money. And so I couldn't really think of a plan. So I immediately joined the military. And from there, I, I did a lot of cool stuff working with some special operations teams as a medic and then later transitioning into some counterintelligence where I was really having to critically think. And in that time frame is actually where I got probably my real estate mindset or kickstart. My stepdad really drilled into me at a younger age let your money work for you, invest, invest, invest. So actually when I was 20 years old, I had bought my first single family residence utilizing the VA loan with the idea of the very basic knowledge that I knew of, okay, at the time I was living in a small town, the mortgage was $1,200. And if I can get four buddies to stay in there and pay me, I won't have to pay anything. And that's exactly what I did. Didn't really know much, didn't really know the big picture. I just knew me and my buddies had a house. I didn't have to pay anything. 
and it was just kind of paying itself off. That led to over the years, I ended up moving to a bigger house, but I made this mindset of like every couple of years, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to utilize the VA loan and purchase something. In that time frame, I just kind of got really addicted to making money almost to a fault. It ruined relationships for me, but it just kind of was one of those things. I was starting some businesses and things were taking off to where it allowed me to have a larger source of capital. Fast forward to 2020, I was still only in residential and a buddy of mine approaches me. He's like, I really need $75,000 for this apartment deal. I'll bring you in on an owner and just, I need the money and I'll finish this up and I'll give you back more money. And at the time I was doing some mission work somewhere, so I couldn't do anything myself. So I was like, sure, here's 75 K like in six months, he wires me back 110,000. I was like, okay, this is different. This is not just paying my mortgage. So in that time frame is when I moved to the San Antonio, Austin area and still didn't really understand much, utilized the VA loan, bought a big house. And then I just realized I ran out of capital. I don't have any capital to keep that trend going of, hey, every year I want to buy a house. I had maxed out the VA loan, so I had no more allocations available. I was still in the military, still trying to do business stuff. And I just came across that deal that I did with my buddy and I wanted to learn more about it. And I just dove head first. And I remember I told him, I was like, hey, I kind of want to do more deals like that. And I remember he shot me some resources to look at and I called him a week later and I was walking him through underwriting. I was walking through inspections. I, was, I, was, I just got addicted to it. And that quickly led to, in the span from 2020 to 2022 is the span that I did the 1200 doors. And it just enlightened me to this new world of understanding debt. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but it was just a whole new world that I didn't even imagine. Yeah. Well, that's incredible growth. Zero to twelve hundred multifamily doors in two years is impressive. So let me back up a little bit though. So it sounds like you were house hacking these single families. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And you can basically have roommates and every time you were allowed to go out and get another personal residence with a VA loan, you were utilizing that. Yeah, I would get a house, some buddies would move in with me, and then once I found maybe another house that would kind of bring in a little bit more, I'd rather sell that one. And then the more recent ones, I have four of those. And I did it when I got here to Texas. It was just me and my dog. And I bought a five bedroom house and I had two buddies move in. They paid the mortgage. I was living for free for a year while doing all my other stuff. And it was like, all right, well, I have the capital now to maybe allocate some money towards the VA loan and, and do it again. But again, it just wasn't the growth I wanted. Well, that's a great resource. And I call that comfortable house hacking, meaning you're not living in a one bed apartment in a four family in a rough neighborhood. You're buying <laughs> nice, desirable houses in good locations, but you're still finding ways to offset your cost and house hack them. So that's a great strategy. And it's funny. A lot of our stories are similar. Same thing in high school. I had very little direction, didn't do well, barely graduated. And just all of the themes you've talked about so far are very similar to my story. So it's cool to hear that. Tell me a little bit about your business stuff. I know you said you had done some business stuff while you were still in the military. What was that about? Yeah. So my undergrad was in exercise physiology and nutrition. So I was always an athlete. I always loved working out and it was kind of one of those things. Every once in a while, someone hit me up like, Hey man, help me lose some weight. I'll throw you 50 bucks. And sure. Why not? And then there was a special operations preparation program that I created where people that were going into special, op I knew what the selection had been consisted of. I knew the requirements. I knew 
pseudo the back end of it of what was required by people to attend. So I started building programs of here's what you're going to have to be able to do before you go there. And so it's the fitness company started as a military and police officer selection prep. And then it broadened out to just general people wanting to get healthier and fitter. But that was the first endeavor into business was, hey, I just want to do this coaching thing where I'm helping people lose weight and enjoy the life that you can when you're healthy and happy. I think that's one of the world's biggest things that we have wrong is people are just unhealthy. And that is truly the one thing that like I would do if I, if I didn't have to make any money ever and someone said, hey, you're just set for life. What do you want to do? It's going to be help people make a dramatic change in their physique and health and be able to experience their children fully, whatever it may be. So I did that when I was probably 21, 22. And then it was funny when I started it, I was like, Hey, if I can just do this and it can pay for my groceries for the month, I would be happy. And then a year went by and it was like, Oh, well, you know, maybe it can pay my mortgage. And then it was, Oh, maybe it'll pay my mortgage in my car. And then before I knew it, I was like, I should probably hire an accountant to start to figure some of this stuff out. Okay. Interesting. So, was, and, and that's only grown. Now we have an app and that's led to other ventures and whatnot. So it's great. Okay. So it's still mainly focused around that business. Yeah. Now that fitness company, we're worldwide now. We have people that utilize our stuff in Europe. Ironically, just now I got a, a, a notification. Someone wants to sign up from Italy and we're all across the United States. So we're growing and it's just a, the biggest passion of mine. I, I will stay up super late to do whatever I have to do to get that to go. But yeah, it's definitely still around. And then there's some other business ventures that my partner and I have gone into like a popcorn store, um, just random stuff that when the market got really bad in 22 with interest rates, we were just getting outbidded by everything with stuff that didn't cash flow in the commercial space. And so we just kind of pivoted. Hey, we understand how to utilize money. We understand other things. And we got presented this deal with this popcorn store. And also we bought that and we're trying to just grow it from a business standpoint. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your multifamily and having such rapid expansion in that space. How did you even get into your first multifamily deal and how were you able to scale so quickly? So the first multifamily deal I would consider would be that 13 unit that my buddy said, Hey, I need 75,000 for. Didn't know anything about it, but I threw him the 75,000. And after that, I would say that gap of about a year or probably six months or so before I did another deal. And then I got introduced to someone who brought me on their team and they were just, this is what we do. And I learned all about it. It's actually how I ran into them. And essentially they were like, we're going to do this deal and we need $200,000. And I just started reaching out to people left and right. And I was able to raise $200,000. Again, kind of understanding the concept behind it, but didn't really know what that meant. And then they sent the money and they're like, congratulations. Like you're on the ownership team now. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, can we do that again? Or like, how do we, <laughs> like, I, I didn't spend any money, nothing. I just reached out to people. And then because of what I did in the military, I have a lot of leadership and organizational skills that suit well for a team. So I kind of built out some plans and things and how we're going to attack things. And I'd had some business experience. And then, so then with that team, a lot of it had to revolve around raising capital, meeting people, raising capital. And I was able to get into the right doors where people needed capital and they were giving favorable things to me to be able to do that. So that was what led to the rapid expansion was it was a booming market. Every deal made sense. And I had connections to the right people that were able to get me in the door. And then for me, a lot of it is I like to provide as much value as I can. So people come back. 
first deal I'll do for nothing. Here, just take the 200,000 and I'll learn and I'll, I'll experience things. And the next deal I want a little bit more and the next deal to where then I'm bringing full value to the table now to the project that we're working on now. It's like, no, that, that's my deal that we're doing. Okay. And what markets were you buying these in? St. Louis, Dallas, Houston. One of them was in Mississippi. It was just some good growing markets, especially when COVID was a huge thing and people were escaping to states like that. Here in San Antonio, we were seeing 18% rental growth. You couldn't even underwrite it responsibly without telling an investor. It says your traditional 3 to 5% rent growth, but just look at this slide that shows the last year and a half has been 18%, just astronomical. So those were the primary markets. Okay. And are these deal by deal partnerships? Are these syndication models? Is this all with one group of general partners? How are you structuring all of these deals? Yeah, a lot of these were just syndication. I would say the first 800 doors were just straight up syndication. I brought money to a team that I knew was raising for a deal. And that's how I got the ownership and equity of the doors. And then once I established value and knowledge of what to do, I started selecting who I wanted to work with more. And that goes with anything. Once you bring knowledge to the table, you can be a little bit more selective on who you work with, what you give your money to, and weigh out the options. There was a deal where if I had a $100 million deal and I had someone that wanted to give me $5 million for it or to invest in the deal... I can shop that $5 million to GPs that need $5 million and be like, all right, well, I no longer just want a small percentage. Like, I want this. And you start to bring your value to the table and, and start to have a voting say. So how are you raising this money? What was your process on some of these properties? Ironically, it was just putting myself in positions to meet people. And as silly as it sounds, I talked to a buddy of mine about this because he was asking the same thing. And I was like, truthfully, what I did is once I got fortunate enough to be able to afford certain commodities in life, I used it as a business expense. So I would fly first class and it's not to be like, oh, I fly first class. It's like, okay, well, if I put myself in first class, I'm more than likely sitting next to someone has a higher likely chance of having some money. I randomly with this method in my head sat next to the gentleman who's the CEO of the bakery that makes all the bread for McDonald's. Mm. Immediately grabbed his phone number and had coffee with him 10 times. It's just one of those things. I put myself into situation here in Texas. I'll go play the nicest golf course. Should I be playing the nicest golf course every week? No. Does my accountant probably get mad at me? Yes. But on the golf course is where I met an EB-5 lawyer who deals with international money where they're dealing with tens of twenties of millions of dollars that need to come in in order to get a visa. And I had that connection from just putting myself in a position. So things like that, that maybe traditionally I wouldn't want to do, like I'm totally cool with playing the golf course. I love golf, but it's like, I'm totally cool with playing the golf course right down the street. But maybe once every two weeks, I'm going to play at the nice country club that is going to put me in a room with people that have been huge family offices in the city or, I'm trying to think of a, another example that I had, but just things of that nature where I'm just putting myself into positions. I'm very extroverted. I can energy match really well. I don't know if it's the counterintelligence in me, but I can read a room really well and understand how to talk with somebody and find out what makes them ick. So I'll kind of mold myself to them and use just communication skills to be able to just get to know them and, and put myself in a strong position. 
Yeah. Great advice. I've said it on the show, but I call it following the money, right? You know, putting yourself in position to network with people that have expendable money, investable money. And, you know, obviously those are some prime examples. And if you go to like your local watering hole bar, that beers are $3, there's nothing wrong with that. It's probably great. But if I go to downtown Austin and go to the whiskey club where it's $30 a drink, more than likely I'm Austin's a huge tech area. I'm going to meet some high-end tech people that are rolling in 500 plus thousand dollars a year. And all it takes is one conversation. Be like, oh, what do you do? I, I work in tech. What do you do? I invest other people's money. And it's like, boom, conversation piece right away. Yeah. Obviously, it's different clientele. And not to say that there aren't multimillionaires in the local watering hole, because there certainly are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you hear this a lot, but it's true. It's You certainly can't judge a book by its cover. And a lot of the times you see people that act like they have money and maybe they don't. It's both ways. You got people that hide it and people that flaunt it where they don't necessarily have it. But it's interesting. A lot of good points I can pull out of that. Just be willing to talk to people. Even if you're not an extrovert, pretend to be one and try to come out of your shell a little bit and network. And one thing I tell people is be genuine, be who you really are. Because if you're simply putting yourself in those situations to try to make inorganic relationships with people because you think they have money. And I'm not saying you're doing this. I'm just giving an example. People are going to key up on that. And obviously with your experience and and counterintelligence and psychology and interviewing people, and I have a law enforcement background, so we do some of that training as well. And I'm sure you know, if you're trying to sell them snake oil, they're going to pick up on that. So you had to be authentic. You got to be who you really are. But just because you are simply putting yourself in the right positions, you're going to multiply your opportunities to make genuine connections, as you mentioned. So that's great advice. And I think also people need to realize that something I had a hard time learning was I always wanted things to happen so quickly. And if you're asking someone for 500000 they're not going to give it to you on the first time you meet them. And so the bread bakery company guy it was like, I'm going to meet him and we'll have coffee 10 times and he won't give me a single penny. He won't even know if I have a deal. But every once in a while, I would send him a deal like, hey, just take a look at this. He would tell me no. And then I would just be like, hey, like, what would you look for? What would you like to invest in? And finally, I had a deal where he wanted to do it. And it wasn't even a lot of money. It was just enough. To, but it's like, it's another thing. They're like, okay, cool. I get you in the door in three years. And that goes full cycle. Give you back your money plus some. You're going to earn my trust even more. And it's going to go even bigger. So I think people got to realize a lot of times it's a process for relationships that there's a balance. You don't want a relationship that's just never going to give anything, but at the same time, you got to understand what you're asking of somebody and, and put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So tell me a little bit about this commercial real estate deal you're working on. So currently we're going to do a industrial warehouse complex here in San Antonio. It's one of the fastest rented out spaces in San Antonio, aside from apartments, but we're working on building 70,000 square feet of warehouse and we want it to be fully operational within a year. So the goal we're trying to do is we're trying to do it like a private deal, no loans, essentially bring in some investors that want to join us and split some equity to where it was an interesting concept I started working on where land's pretty cheap and debt's expensive. But if you can figure out a way with finances to make it work, what you're building is worth 10 to 12 million, right? And so the hard piece of this has been finding that balance of, okay, well, what do we take on loans? What do we take on debt wise versus if we can get an investor? So the goal here is to build 70,000 square feet of rental space, rent it out, refinance it to get that quick replenishment of funds, and then just kind of hold on to it. My business partner and I, we get the idea of doing full cycle deals three to five years, but 
we want to get to a point where we can capture these deals and hold on to them forever and just let them cash flow and, and keep the property up to date. Something like this where the commercial warehouse space in San Antonio has a vacancy rate of close to 3% or less. And it's like, let's do it, man. There's businesses moving here. It's growing. The housing market's through the roof, rental market's through the roof. So that means more businesses are going to come here. They're going to need space. And San Antonio is a little bit of an older area to where there's not new stuff being built a lot. We have like the Amazon plants going in that are nice, big concrete buildings. But if you look at like a solid steel framed warehouse, they're all old, they're all terrible. And so we put it together and we're searching for some investors now, preferably one to two investors to be able to crush this deal. So what do you think your all-in cost on something like that will be? So the all-in cost is going to be about 1.5 to 1.8 million. We're looking for about two to 3 million. That way we have some reserves or some unexpected costs come up, but it's going to be about 1.8 million to be able to do everything. And that includes land, construction costs, things of that nature. And then we have our full plan of what we want to do once it's built. But as soon as we break ground, we can start signing leases and take that to a bank if we want. Yeah. So potentially three to four X on your equity there. Yeah. And it really depends on the investor that we get. If they want to bring money in and we just kind of ride out the residual cash flow and then they get their money back and then we kind of stay partners or they need to maybe take it as an advantage into something else and bigger and they want to do a refinance. Like we said, the market here for that many square feet, it's nine to 11 million. So even if you just built it for 1.8 and 2 million and the general contractor we're working with quoted us 10 months or so to be able to do it with the longest portion of it, ironically being dealing with the city and the concrete. But once the concrete's done and the city blesses off on the plans, those steel frames go up so quickly, we could refinance for even just $4 million. Here's your money back if you want to go, like doubled your money. Thank you. And we, we'll take a note at 10% or whatever. That's super conservative, but who knows where we'll be at in a year. Yeah, sounds like a great deal. With this finished product, 70,000 square feet, is this 10 tenants? Is this one tenant? What are you picturing? There's one tenant that's already guaranteed to be in there. And it's a complex thing, but it's for that popcorn business that my partner and I bought. The plan for that company is to take it to Walmart and all these big corporations. We need a warehouse. So 10,000 square feet is going to go to the popcorn business. The remaining 60,000 square feet is going to be open concept to where we can put in walls in wherever we want, but we want to be able to open it up to where if someone comes in and wants 30,000 square feet, we can customize the interior wall design for them. If someone only wants 8,000, we can siphon it off like that. So ideally, we're looking at, aside from the 10,000s being set apart, we're looking for maybe four to five tenants, maybe have one of them in there for 20,000 square feet, and then a bunch of other 10,000 square feet. doesn't really matter. Yeah, interesting concept. As far as multifamily goes, what are your plans in the next 12 months? Ooh, that's a good question. So the big question for me is, I think... When I first got into it, it was like, okay, let me learn how to raise money or let me know how to underwrite deals and, and do all that. And that was around the time where I felt like everyone was getting into it. Everyone had heard about it. And then when the market got bad, it transitioned into, okay, now we're just going to raise money for these equity groups that have access to off-off-market deals because they're getting the lower interest rates or a subable note, whatever it may be, or a price that works. But I feel like for me, my goal is for the next 12 months, I want to actually come back down to a eight to 20 unit deal and be able to do it by myself. I don't want 30 people to raise on it, then go grab a sponsor that's going to take 10% of it to where I do all this work and great, I'm getting 
great equity for a huge deal and just gained theoretically 300 doors, but it's pennies on the dollar when it actually gets broken down to where I think right now is probably a good time to go find one of those 10 to 15 unit seller finance deals that's going to cash flow 10 to 15,000 because as much as the big deals are sexy, those don't do that right away because you have to wait on the equity. You have to flip it. You have to make sure that you have the equity position in it with the team to where you're even going to see that kind of money. But that's my goal for the next 12 months for sure is to find that 10 to 20 unit deal. The bank's going to allow me to do it or a seller finance deal where I 100% own this and, and I'm proud of that. Yeah, that's the same space I'm in, that kind of mid-sized 20 to 80 units where it's usually too small for the big syndication groups and it's usually too big for most single investors. So I like that space as well. Exactly. Awesome, man. Any final thoughts on the stuff you're working on? No, I've actually made a really weird transition to where I'm focusing a lot more on that commercial space with that goal in the next 12 months of attaining something on my own. So ironically, there was a time there I'd bought the popcorn store back in April and I kind of just took a break for a lot of the networking that I was doing. And again, I think networking is so powerful. So I took a break from that to where now, like, like today, I was driving down to Houston to meet with a good mentor of mine just to network and get back in that space to where if that deal comes up or if someone knows of a deal, I'm happy to jump on it. Very cool. Are you ready to transition to the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. What is your best ever book recommendation? I'm going to go off on a little limb here. Like I'm sure everyone probably says Rich Dad, Poor Dad and like <laughs> all the, the classic investing books. I'm going to say Atomic Habits. Have you read it? No, I haven't. I've heard it recommended several times. What's your favorite part of it? It's one of those books that takes the entire book to describe the concept of what it's talking about, but it focuses on the idea of doing something 1% better every single day. And it really highlights the UK cycling team back in early 2000s. They were so atrocious that no biking company wanted to work with them. So they hired a new coach and essentially the new coach was like, okay, if we can't get a nice bike, we're going to focus on all the little things to get better, i.e. our seat positions are gonna be super maximized so we can be most comfortable on the bike, or our pillows are gonna be custom fitted for us so we sleep better at night. Our suits are gonna be more aerodynamic. Everyone's gonna get salt tested to realize how much water intake we need, and all the little things. And they aggregated all this stuff to where, come 2008, I think they set Olympic records and they won all these things. Then early 2010, 2012 era, they won the Tour de France, they won more Olympic gold medals. So it's just the idea that you can take that in your personal life, you can take it in business life, just do a little bit every day to just better yourself and you'll see the rewards pay off. Yeah, controlling those things you can control every day. Yeah. That's a good lesson there. What is the best ever way you like to give back? I like to give back by my time and effort. So one of the big ways I used to is Habitat for Humanity does those house builds. If I can get outside and go do something active, I try to, and I'll try and help build some houses. But also for me, I get so busy with work that I'd never want to come off like I'm blowing someone off. So what I've found that gives me a lot of fulfillment is being present with people that are seeking help. If someone's going through a rough time or someone wants to learn something about personal real estate, I'm not here to sell them some educational. I want to be present with you, spend some quality time with you and know that you are important. And I think that that kind of energy towards anyone can go a long way. Give me a mistake from one of your deals and a lesson learned from it. A mistake from one of my deals was I fell in love with the concept of the idea of the deal versus what the reality of it was. And this was very early on. I'd done that 13 unit 
with the 75k that turned into 110 and I was just, this is the coolest thing ever. And to me, it was like the next three months, every deal worked, apparently. I was, this works, this is going to make me so much money. And I was just kind of rushing into it and not really doing my due diligence and not really understanding what it really meant to do the deal. And I got really close on an LOI one time and my buddy stepped in. He's like, hey, this is not a good deal and here's why. So rushing in a little too quickly than what I was ready for. And luckily he stopped me before I really had to take my hard medicine, but just rushing in too quickly, not being prepared and maybe at, at that time pretending like I knew more than what I did and not being humble enough to be like, nope, I shouldn't be doing this by myself. I need to be able to learn from someone. Yeah. A couple of good lessons there. I think a lot of the investors that I know and that I work with that have started post 2009, let's say, we get a false sense of accomplishment because we've had a market that was continuously rising for the last 12, 13 years. And it's easy to look at all of our deals we did during that time frame and be like, oh, every one of these went well. Well, it's like, yeah, anything you bought in the last 13 years probably did well up until last year, let's say. So yeah, it's easy to self-inflate and let that build your ego. And it's hard to stay humble and stay grounded. So I think that's a good lesson for people. And also when you have those wins back to back to back, you get in a flow of a couple of deals going well. You start to think everything you touch turns to gold, as one of the other hosts here, Osh, likes <laughs> to say. And that's not necessarily true. Every deal is its own deal. Every situation and market's its own market. And you have to keep a wide view of the situation and not just assume it's going to work out because it always has. Whatever this disclaimers you always hear, it's like past performance doesn't <laughs> indicate future success or whatever. And that's a good lesson to keep. Yeah. Yeah, and ironically, when we pivoted and started working on some other business ventures that we were doing, it opened me up to a different scope. It was new problems arose, but obviously most problems have the same concept at its foundation. It's a supply problem, it's a money problem, or it's a people problem. I was doing all these deals where I was in the ownership group, but I wasn't making the calls to where then we went and bought these businesses and I was making the calls and it was like, whoa, okay, now when I go back into the real estate world now, I'm understanding a whole new depth of how to talk finance of how to talk people and how to be able to work on in certain expenses so it's been interesting yeah that's another good point i think once you get into high level real estate i mean it's true of all sizes of deals and the number of deals you do but real estate at its core is a people business you're dealing with people in all facets of it and if you're not good at that aspect of it you're going to struggle as an investor so great lesson there as well yeah and ironically i'm still actually doing some single family deals Again, it's one of those, I'm trying to do the whole multifamily by myself thing, that mid-range kind of group, but I'm planning to move here in the next summer. It's like, well, well the house I'm living in now, I'm just going to rent it out and I'll go buy something else as long as the market supports it or take the equity from the three houses and cash out refinance, go do something else and just play with it. I always tell people it's a weird personality trait for me where I think business is a game. I like money, but people always ask me, like, what's the end goal? It's like, I don't really have one. It's a gain to me. It's like, how can I just take this fork and make money with it? And it's going to make money. Cool. All right. What's next? Awesome. Well, we appreciate you being on the show today. How can people connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Probably the easiest way is on LinkedIn. I wasn't super active on LinkedIn. And then I think, you know, I just kind of realized I'm like, oh, maybe I'll get back into networking with people and get back on LinkedIn. I, I do have Instagram. It's more so my personal life. You won't find a lot of business on there, but really easy way to reach out to me is my Instagram, J-E-R underscore Kane. 
or LinkedIn, you can find me, Jeremy Kane, Patriot Capital Investments, and, and shoot me a note on there. Awesome. And we'll be sure to link to those. Best ever listeners, if you got value from today's show, please leave us a five-star review on the app of your choice. Make sure you're following us and Jeremy on social media. Jeremy, thank you again for your time today. Appreciate it, Joe. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.